you have a Bible, please turn to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. I must be honest, it feels a little odd being back here after we were just here two nights ago for uh, the Christmas Eve service. Had an awesome time here, a special service, and yet to just be back some 36 hours later feels a little bit weird. doesn't feel like a Sunday uh, to us right now. And I know that Christmas makes us tired. You're probably tired this morning, but I am hoping and praying that today you will listen as well as you have ever listened. I'm praying that God would give you ears to hear that you would believe this. This Psalm 78 is one of my favorites, and it is one that I think is so incredibly important, one that our church must understand, one that uh, those who have a desire to make disciples as Christ commands us to, that they would understand Psalm 78. Today's message is about us prioritizing the next generation. Not so much to mean youth ministry, not so much to mean parenting, but rather speaking fully and holistically or one generation to invest in the next generation, however that works. I want to tell you two quick stories that will kind of set the tone. We got invited to a Christmas party last week, and we went there and uh, took, took all five kids, and we were there, and the, the home that we were in had this thing on the wall. It was shaped like this. It had a really, really, really long cord hanging off of it, one of those cords that you could bungee. And it reached all the way from the wall to here, about 15 feet or so. That's called a landline telephone. They still had one. My kids had never seen one. My 14-year-old had never seen one. We told them to pick it up, and it went, and we're like, what's that? It's making a noise. They had never heard of a dial tone before. I couldn't believe it. I had not thought about that before. They had never seen a phone with a cord in their lives. We don't have one. They had never heard a dial tone before. So we said, here, type in my phone number and you can call me and I'll talk to you and it'll buzz, you know, and all of that. That was neat. Neat to think about how so quickly the world has changed and they've never heard of one. On the other hand, I want to tell you another story. I was with a couple guys uh, a, a while back. We got to talking about uh, baseball and some great baseball players, and they brought up Cal Ripken Jr., the great Baltimore Oriole, the Iron Man, who played more consecutive games than anybody's ever played, 2,600 and something games without ever missing one. And my son said, who's Cal Ripken? And the guy did like this. He said, Josh, please tell me. You've told your kids about Cal Ripken. And please don't tell me that you haven't. Their kids don't know who Cal Ripken is? I said, yeah, haven't gone over Cal Ripken yet. I said, they do know who Michael Jordan is. I, said, I promise you that. They didn't know Cal Ripken. I tell both of those stories to point out two things. If we don't tell people about things, then they will not know about them. And as time passes they will be long forgotten. Truly out of sight and out of mind. 
Well, it doesn't really matter too much if they know what a dial tone is. We're doing just fine with our phones in our pockets. And it really doesn't matter to me if they know who Cal Ripken Jr. is. We're doing just fine with all of our other sports heroes. But there are more important things in life than phones and sports. And it is the life-giving love of God for you. Nobody loves you more than the God that made you. That and only that can fulfill your heart. The love of God for you through sending his son Christ is the only thing that will satisfy your soul. And to think that we may not share that or pass that on To think that that could be lost, forgotten, never heard of, unknown, is exactly what the message is about today. Read with me at Psalm 78. Now, I do want to show you that Psalm 78 is a long one, and that's part of the point of how this begins. 72 72 verses in Psalm 78, we are not going to look at all of them. Today, we're going to look at the first eight verses. Psalm 78, the first eight verses. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them. And the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. What a passage. A passage that if you did not know Psalm 78 before, I hope you will now, put a bookmark there, find a way to go back to this often. Psalm 78 is a word for us, isn't it? It's a message from God to us. This is the living truth in God's word, and it is something that we need to know and believe, take heed to, and commit ourselves to. My first point this morning, number one, the responsibilities we have from God. The older I get, the more I like the word responsible, and the more I like the word responsibility Things that we ought to be doing, we should be doing, things that we must be doing, things that we have to do. These are our responsibilities. There are things that we will do if we get a time. There are things that we will do if we have an opportunity or get a chance to. But there are some things that we must do. We must do. We have to. And there are responsibilities in our, in our jobs. There are responsibilities in our homes. Responsibilities just in, in the world. 
But there are responsibilities from God, things that God communicates to his people and says, these are what you have to do. And there are lots of them, lots of things that we ought to be doing and should be doing, lots of ways that we live our lives under his reign and lordship, lots of ways that we obey him and live out faithfulness, lots of ways that we uh, hear what he wants us to do and we go and commit ourselves to them, lots of ways for us to go and make a difference in the world and be a light in the world. Responsibilities. A big one that we see here in Psalm 78 is the responsibility to make sure the next generation knows God. We have this responsibility from God. Psalm 78 begins by saying, listen, give ear, O people, listen to my teaching, incline your ears to the words of my mouth, pay attention. And then he says he's going to teach it in a way that they can kind of grasp or remember or hold on to. He's going to open his mouth in a parable. He will utter dark sayings from of old, things that you've heard before and you know, and things that we've heard before and that we've known, things that our fathers have told us, things that we don't want to hide, as it says in verse 4. I'm going to repeat all of this, and I'm going to say it in a way that communicates. I'm going to say it in a way that you'll never forget it. That's what he says, and he does. Like I said, he goes 72 verses. This is a long psalm. And beginning at verse uh, 9, actually beginning at verse 12, he just goes through their history. And he breaks down the history of the people of Israel, uh, many of the stories from the Old Testament. And he's not just telling history, though. It's not a boring history class. It's how God is working and what God is doing through every single bit of it. This is the way that we are to understand our lives. We are to understand that God is moving in and through everything we encounter, the good and the bad, the known and the unknown, the ups and the downs. God is working in it. And that's what he does. And he wants to recall that and recount that. He wants the next people to see that God is there, God is working, God can be held on to, God can be trusted, that their lives are owed to God because of all that he's done. A responsive gratefulness, humility, uh, commitment to God for all that God has done for them. You see in verse 4, we will not hide them from their children but tell to the coming generation, look at the end of verse four, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. The Bible wants you and I to feel this responsibility. This is our job. This is my job and this is your job. Not my job because I'm a minister, but my job because I'm a believer in God. And your job because you are a believer in God. It is our responsibility. Several years ago, we started using this phrase in our church, and I want to remind you of it again. Here in our church, the older people are to prioritize the younger people. And here in our church, the younger people are to prioritize the older people. Now, we've been, we've been very careful to say, you decide which one of those you are. We're not going to put you in a box. That's up to you if you're the younger or the older. Truth is that we're all a little older and we're all a little younger than some of those if we look around, right? That's the beauty of a healthy church. Healthy churches want all generations. From time to time, I hear people talk about other churches and they say that they're just this way. That church is only old people or that church is only young people. 
I talked to a pastor the other day who had been a pastor for 20 years and said he had only done three funerals. I thought, wow, you must have a young church. A healthy church wants to be all of those generations. We want to have every age group in it. We want to see the value of all of that, and we want to prioritize that and prioritize investing in each. There are ways that younger people can bless and love and serve and impact older people. And there are many ways that older people can bless and love and serve younger people if we will understand that this is our calling and this is our purpose and this is our responsibility. But this passage focuses in on not just doing or loving or serving, but specifically to telling. And we know that the Christian ministry and the work of God comes through the preaching of the word. It comes through the telling of the message. It comes through the sharing and speaking of the glories of Christ, of the love of God. That's the way Christianity works. Not just from a pulpit like this, but as people everywhere talk, as they're having coffee, as they're uh, sitting beside a bedside at night, as they're doing a hospital visit, as we speak of God and his ways and Christ and his salvation, God uses the speaking. He does. And so Psalm 78 focuses in on that, that we are to be those looking from one generation to the next, valuing the other generations and speaking into them. That is our responsibility. Now, before we go any further, let me just say a few things. One, we know that salvation is of the Lord. You can try all you want and do everything you thought is right, and it still may not go well. Salvation is of the Lord. We know that. There is no automatic formula. There is no uh, key, you do this, you'll get this inside of Christianity. Please don't let today's sermon beat you down. May it lift you up and encourage you. Second thing, let's remind ourselves that this is often really hard. Sometimes one generation to the next really gets on each other's nerves, right? Old people can't stand young people these days. They don't know how they've turned out like this. To which I keep saying, y'all raised us. Seriously, that's the, that's, the, that's the like slap in the face every time you hear an older person bad-mouthing a younger person. The generation before produced the generation after it, right? And everybody younger is going, absolutely, for better or for worse. Sometimes we don't get along. Sometimes we frustrate each other. Sometimes we irritate each other, and I know that. And that can even be the case in our Christian homes. That can even be the case in our united Christian churches where we just have different ideas and different visions and different perspectives. I know that. Psalm 78 knows that. The author of Psalm 78 knows that. The God of Psalm 78 knows that. And we still are to be telling the next generation. We are to find a way to get past differences or complications, right? We are to find a way to get over hurdles and obstacles and still invest in each other. This is our responsibility. Martin Luther says, you are not only responsible for what you say, but also for what you do not say. This certainly applies to children, raising children. This certainly applies to the church and one generation to the next. We must be committed to telling people of God and what he has done, and we must be committed to making sure we don't have them going, well, they never told us that. 
In the workforce, we have a phrase that we use a lot called, that's a training issue. If you have a job, you've heard that before, right? You can't fault the person. You can't blame the person for not doing their job properly if they were not taught to do their job properly, right? It's not their fault. They were not trained to do it that way. It's a training issue. They weren't taught that. And I think a lot of times inside of Christianity, we find ourselves so frustrated or disappointed in those younger than us, and yet, were they taught? Were they trained? Is it a training issue by what we said and what we did not say? The Bible at Psalm 78 shows us that we have responsibilities from God. We must tell the next generation. We must not hide it from them. God's glorious deeds, his might, his power, and the wonders that he has done. I want to ask you here this morning, will you believe that you have responsibilities from God to tell those underneath you about what he's doing, about how he's done it. Now, this creates a big challenge, and we've got to be honest here, and perhaps this is the the hardest part of what you're going to hear today. You just can't talk about that which you don't know. You can't give away that which you don't possess. And I think if we're really being honest, and if y'all wanted to sit down later, let's have a drink, or let's get deep into this, and let's get talking, I think, honestly, this is the bigger issue with Christianity in our day, Christianity in our context. That there are many who do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. They don't understand his salvation by grace alone through faith alone. And so we're not able to talk about that which we don't have. We're not able to give away that which we don't possess. I think that's our real issue. Instead of beating each other up, saying, why didn't you? We must be more bold and honest and upfront, saying, I know why you didn't. And I know why this ended up the way it ended up. There was no true love for Christ there. There may have been an attendance of church. Or there may have been a humble, simple mouthing, honoring to God, but no true hope in him, as Psalm 78 says. We have a responsibility to tell about what God has done. Number one, we have a responsibility from God. But number two, there is reward in telling the next generation. There is reward in telling the next generation. Look where it goes from verse four. Look at verse five. God established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. And what verse five is saying is, yes, we're supposed to be telling, but it's not like up in the air, what are we gonna say? What what do we teach them? I don't know what to say, right? Sometimes we hear people say that, I don't know what to say. And and verse five is telling us that God has established what we could say. He's done a lot. He's our maker. He loves, he leads. We've got lots of stories of his love and lots of stories of his leading and lots of stories of his might and lots of stories of the wonders that he's done. And he has established this both way in the past as we tell stories of goodness and grace and in our own lives. 
Verse 5 tells us that God has set that up and he's commanded us to go and teach this to the children so that there would be this beautiful, wonderful, uplifting, encouraging, life-giving result of doing this. Verse 6, that the next generation might know. They might know. Know God, know him, know his wonders, know what he's done, that they might know. And yet, this would carry on for generations, multiple generations. I think this is so shocking in verse 6 when it says, the kids that aren't even yet born. Not our young children with us, the kids that aren't even born yet, and that they would grow up and tell the next generation. That's what verse 6 says. Look how far down the road this is looking. This is not thinking about the kids in our nursery at church. This is thinking about their kids and their grandkids. Arise and tell them to their children. Why? Verse 7. And y'all, this verse 7 is the key to this whole passage. So that they should set their hope in God. Where else do we find hope? And how much emptiness do we know about in this life without hope from God? The goal of all Christian ministry is that we would hope in God, that we would love him, that we would know that he loves us, that we would trust in Christ, rest in Christ, have our sins forgiven by the mercy and grace of God and put all of our hope in him. He does love us. He is the answer to this world and he is the way, the truth, and the life to the Father. Oh, that you would set your hope in God. But more than that, that you would set your hope in God. Oh, that you would desire more than anything else that the next generation would set their hope in God, that your children would set their hope in God. The beauty of Psalm 78 is that this is, seems to be often so far away from, hey, they go to church, or hey, I raised them in church, or hey, they went to Sunday school, or hey, we did this, or hey, they got baptized. Or No, the goal is a heart change. The goal is deep down, on the inside, with your soul, by faith, inside of you, hope in God. Doesn't it sound good to even hear that? Doesn't just that verse inspire you? Would you admit here today that you know deep down that's what you want? That they would hope in God. That they would set their hope on him. That he would be their treasure. That he would be the satisfier of their heart. That he would be their peace. He would be the anchor in their soul. They would set their hope in God. It describes that a few other ways. It describes that a few other ways. Look what it says. That they would not forget the works of God. That happens sometimes. We have places in the Old Testament where it says, after Joshua died, a next generation grew up that did not know God. It says that in Judges chapter two. Joshua labored and labored and labored and led and led and led. But the people weren't faithful. And after a whole generation swapped, now we had a whole generation that didn't know God. This happens all the time. It's happening now in the midst of our lives in our families, it's happening in our church and in our community and in our town. People just forget what God has done. The next one says that they would keep his commandments from their heart, by grace, through faith, that they would want to obey God. Not thinking that they have to, not thinking that God's gonna strike them dead if they don't, but through a relationship with God, knowing how he deals with people, knowing that he loves us so much that he sent his son, they want to obey. 
Not thinking that obedience is getting them anywhere, but that this is the way life is supposed to go. This is what honors God. What a reward this would be to see younger people setting their hope in God. Church, it is not merely our desire to have a quality student and youth ministry here. Psalm 78 is not talking simply about that. We want the whole church, the entire church, each person, each home, each family, each car ride, each relationship, all of us, every bit of our church to be doing Psalm 78, desiring that the next generation would set their hope in God. So when we serve in the nursery, we got Psalm 78 on our mind so that we show up at a men's event or a ladies' event and we see people there of all ages, we have Psalm 78 in our mind. When we get to play church softball and there's some older guys out there putting on the icy hot and there's some younger guys out there that seems to be so athletic, we are thinking Psalm 78. When we show up to a small group or a Sunday school class, And there's people there talking about things that this side of the room don't even know about because it's just two different generations and we smile about it and rejoice because this is what Psalm 78 wants. Younger people that invest in older people and older people that invest in younger people and we get that there is reward at that. There is reward in them understanding what God is doing. Just a few weeks ago, we had a funeral for Miss Ramey Samuels. She was 91 years old when she passed away, which means that in 2003, when I arrived here, she was 73. And from 73 to 91, the last quarter of her life, she had big impact. That, among everything else, is, I think, the biggest impact that I'm taking away as I reflect upon Miss Ramey's life. It was from 73 years old to 91 years old where she had huge impact. There were college students in our church leaving college to get back here to be at her funeral. They'd only known her for a few years. Her pallbearers were all people under the age of 40 years old. How did she do that? She didn't have a Sunday school class with them. She didn't have a small group with them. She understood the value of caring about younger people. She wrote notes, she called, she asked about people. She had people over to her home. She gave out gifts. She knew the importance of young people. I think about that all the time. I often think, man, the the, the older I get, I feel like my life has less influence or less significance, and yet Miss Ramey just absolutely shoots that down. There's reward in letting your life invest in another generation. Miss Ramey's life speaks to that. Jimmy and Kristen Scroggins, writing in their book, Full Circle Parenting, says it like this. If we are going to raise kids who discover and pursue God's design, we are going to have to teach our kids to swim upstream against the flow of the culture around us. Our kids are going to have to learn God's design for sexuality and gender and family structure. Our kids are going to need to learn God's design for money, material things, and generosity. Our kids will want to embrace God's design for how we see people of other races and ethnicities and nationalities. Our kids are going to need to grab onto God's design for repentance, forgiveness, and restoration. All of these beliefs and behaviors that follow will from time to time place our kids and our families outside the mainstream of our culture, but We counteract the pull of the culture by demonstrating the powerful truth that God's design is a better way to live. 
there's reward there. There's reward in knowing and believing that God's power is the answer to life, that God's love for us in Christ dying for us, greater love is nobody than this. And as we pour out our lives and invest in others and as we make them important, not talk down to them, not always scold them. Look, I'm gonna go ahead and speak for my generation, every generation under us. We know that the older generations are better than us at everything when it comes to work and saving money and spending and all of that. Y'all are phenomenal at it if you're in those older generations. We know that. We stand in all of you. But we still want you to love us. We still want you to tell us about what God has done. We still want you to see the value in us. And there's such reward when one generation gets this. At 42 years old, I feel right in the middle of that, right? I have kids, I have teenagers, I have little ones that are into things that I was not into, and yet I have parents that say the same thing about me. They shake their head at me the way I shake my head at my kids. And yet at the same time, we know that it is thrilling. It is good when people embrace the truth of God and the love of God. When we see people set their hope in him, as they are supposed to. There is reward of telling the next generation. Read with me again verse six. That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God. The reward of telling the next generation. But it doesn't stop at verse seven. And so my third and final point today is the result and regret if we don't. The result and regret if we do not tell the next generation. Verse seven mentions that when they do, they would not forget the works of God, which means it's possible for them to forget the works of God. Verse eight then goes on and applies it like this, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. If verses verses six and seven brought encouragement and hope And smiles and thrills. Verse 8 brings pain and sadness and concern, does it not? The thought that those underneath us would not care, would not believe us, would think that we're wrong. One of the things when we get in small groups that I like to bring up is that we're dealing with truth here. And so when somebody rejects the truth, we have to be able to ask, do you think that I'm wrong? Do you think that we're wrong? Do you think that those who are putting their hope in God are wrong? I think many today will not say that. I think they're okay to not believe anything. But it is challenging to them, certainly challenging to us, but it is challenging to them to see if they would say that they disagree. 
We just stood here and sang with hands lifted high. All I have is Christ. And it challenges us. Is that true? Is that really where we are? You think I believe that on the inside? You think when life is really, really bad and have a really, really bad day, that all I have is Christ? My soul's still satisfied? Or is that just Sunday morning talk? But this is where a lost person goes in challenging us and thinking about our lives. And we have to be able to think to ourselves, is this real to us? Is the power of God really working in us? Is this true? Are we really believers? Is this what drives our lives? And yet, we are to see that there is such danger when we have not faithfully communicated and told the next generation that they would end up stubborn and rebellious like the previous generation, that their hearts would not be steadfast and their spirit would not be faithful to God. It's tragic, it's scary, it's concerning. As we think through these as we think through this teaching about one generation to the next, about young people, about the future, about our children and grandchildren, as we think like this, we must always remember that the Bible teaches us that our children are given to us by God. Children are a gift. They're not automatic. Don't you ever think that they're automatic. We experience enough hardship and suffering on the regular to know that they are not automatic. They are a gift from God. And if they are a gift from God, then that means we need to understand and believe that we will be giving them back to him. They will one day not be with us. They will one day be before him. Children, young people, next generations are borrowed, if you will. And Psalm 78, like much of God's word, tells us what are we to do with them while we have them? It felt weird to know that they didn't know what a dial tone was. It felt weird knowing that I haven't taught them about Cal Ripken Jr. But it doesn't feel as bad as thinking that they may not know grace and second chance and undying love and a God that will never, ever give up on them. The power of Christ to sacrifice himself because they couldn't earn it, to show them they are accepted by mercy. That they must know. Scroggins goes on in his book, writing with his wife, to talk about how hard parenting is. I got a lot of really good books on parenting. If you're looking for some, I can recommend some. This one's called Full Circle Parenting by both Jimmy and Kristen Scroggins. He's talking about how hard parenting is, and this is on page 17. And he says that there's no secret formula. There's nothing that you can just do that's gonna work. He says, so he thinks that the secret is just having wisdom, the wisdom of God, to help you as you are almost regularly encountering things that are so challenging. What do we do here, what do we do here? He says there's no answers to that. You just need the wisdom of God to try to help you step by step through it. And so in talking about the wisdom of God, he turns to Proverbs. He says, Proverbs is very helpful for parenting. 
But he points out that Proverbs is written by Solomon, who was not the best parent, who was written by, who, who Solomon comes from his dad, David, who was not the best parent. Listen to what he writes. You might wonder what qualified Solomon to write a parenting manual since he has such a shady background riddled with so many parenting failures. The answer is God. It's the same reason that we are qualified to be parents. It's the same reason that you are qualified to be a parent. It's because God gave us our children and he has called us to raise them. Even if your background is shaky and even if you have racked up a list of failures, you are still a key part of God's design for your child's flourishing. If Solomon can write a parenting manual, then we can step up and fill the role to which God has called us. God always gives us the opportunity to recover and pursue his design. But if there is no formula for how we can parent successfully, then what's the secret? And the secret is wisdom. Wisdom is the thing that we need for faithful parenting. Solomon wrote Proverbs as an old man. He had learned enough and observed enough and failed enough to realize that wisdom is the most valuable parenting resource. Wisdom is the most precious gift parents can pass on to their children. Proverbs teaches that the most effective concept parents can transmit to future generations is the love and value of wisdom. Who God is, what he's like, how he feels, what he considers good, what he considers bad, what he considers right, what he considers wrong. As we recognize that our lives, our churches, as our communities, as our homes, as our families have not communicated this from one generation to the next, we are to feel that this is a bad result. We are to feel some regret in a healthy way. We had a responsibility given from God. And the Bible tells us this. Anybody who reads the Bible regularly recognizes this. Matt read earlier from Ephesians 6, where it specifically says, Fathers, do not anger your children. Fathers, do not provoke them to anger. Don't ride them and ride them. Don't make them feel bad when they already feel bad. Don't beat them down when they're already beat, beat down. Don't create in them a, 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 a fiery, angry young person, which there are many of those these days. It says don't provoke them to anger. In the New Testament, from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, it says, but bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, in the training and instruction of God. You know what training is like? It's time, it's time spent. It's allowing mistakes. It's allowing misunderstandings. It's going over it again. It's how many times do I gotta show you this? It's, it's okay, we'll keep working, you'll get it eventually. That's what training is like. That's what the Bible uses for fathers to have for the next generation. Oh, the pain that we will feel when we do not commit ourselves to this. The key to understanding one generation to the next is God. Who he is and what he's like. I want to remind you here today that God is the God of salvation. And his salvation comes by free grace. When we could not save ourselves, when we could not get ourselves to God, when we have lived for ourselves and sinned against a holy God, God's the one who moved. When we couldn't draw near to him, he drew near to us. 
when men couldn't come, when men and women couldn't become godly, God became manly. That's what Christmas is all about, is it not? The incarnation. He became like me and you. He knows what we deal with. He knows our struggles. He knows our sufferings and our low self-esteem. He knows these things. And so he came to die on the cross for us so that we would know love, feel loved, and be loved by the work of Christ, not by earning it, not by performance, not by good deeds, but by the sweet mercy of God who loves the world and sent his son to die for us. May we see the responsibility to tell anybody and everybody. The church is a beautiful way for this to be worked out. If you come here on Tuesday to work Dare to Care, you'll have younger people there with you. If you come here Wednesday for Dare to Care, you'll have younger people there with you. This morning we had Sunday school of all different ages. On Wednesday nights, we have all different ages together and that's just what the church offers. There's so many ways for us to get involved when we work in schools, when we coach teams, when we get around younger people. And it is our responsibility for them to know what Jesus is truly like, the work of God, his might, and what he's done. The key with understanding this, I said, is God and his free grace, which means we already know that we are sinners. We already know that this is uh, not ideal, but because of grace and forgiveness, the key components of Christianity, we want to model those. It's not doing everything right, It's not saying I can't because I don't do things right. It's understanding that Christianity thrives in the middle of everything not going right. This is what we are, people that mess up all the time. And so in our families and in our homes and in our parenting and in our youth ministries, there will be people that mess up all the time. That's what we're like. But Christianity's okay with that. It thrives right there because of grace, mercy, and forgiveness. When believers sin, they acknowledge it, they repent, they make it right, they turn away from it. They go to every single person that they need to go to and they say, I'm sorry, forgive me. God, forgive me of my sins. God, renew my heart, turn me back to you. And then they press on in that love and mercy of forgiving. Jay Adams writes, the Christian home then is a place where sinful persons face the problems of a sinful world. The Christian home is that. Yet they face them together with God and his resources, which are all centered in Christ. Sinners live in the Christian home, but the sinless Savior lives there too. And that is what makes the difference. A home full of sin but a home filled with grace for sin. And Jesus is there too. Don't think that there's any family in the church whose home isn't filled with hurt and words that we wish you hadn't said and bad attitudes. We're all like that. But Jesus is a real savior with real forgiveness that doesn't leave us. And there's the power for us sticking with it. Church, we have a responsibility to tell one generation. We have a responsibility to make sure they know how good God is. May we recognize the reward in doing it. May we be, rewar- may we be warned of the regret if we don't. And may we resolve at the end of one year and the start of another to commit ourselves to it. 
It was about one year ago that Miss Nada Goff passed away. And her dear friend was Miss Alma Nicholson, who sits alone in the nursing home even now. And when we visit, she doesn't like for us to leave. I took my two girls there just last week to spend time with her. She didn't know I was bringing them. I didn't tell her I was bringing them. But she had a spare bag of gummy bears in the drawer. Because she knows kids love that. But 90-year-old Miss Alma isn't just good with gummy bears and young girls. Miss Alma and Miss Nada, in their old age, in their final years, both as widows, understood Psalm 78. On low budgets, I have seen them multiple times ask young people in the church to come over for lunch that's already prepared for beans and cornbread. Less than $10. If you're in your 20s and somebody's got warm beans and cornbread, you're there, right? And they went. And they ate there many times. I've seen it. That's what I'm talking about. That's what God's talking about. He doesn't say youth ministry. There isn't even the concept of Wednesday night student ministry in the Old Testament. There isn't even the concept of that. He's talking about me and you feeling they need to know God. He's the answer to their lives. And then saying, I'm going to move in that way. I'm going to live my life in that way. They matter to me. He matters to me. I'm going to make sure I tell him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the sweet words of Psalm 78, that they would set their hope in God. Father, I pray that we would embrace the younger people investing in the older and the older people investing in the younger, prioritizing each. Father, thank you for the mercy of God that makes it all worthwhile, that really gives us the power. God, thank you that when one generation does, we see you working. Even the IMB video that we watched said, the newer generation is doing it. They're telling. And Father, may that be the case here. God, may First Baptist Church Fairdale be a place where we value all generations and ages, where we invest in each where we somehow give ourselves to it. Father, this last Sunday of the year, we pray that you would give us a conviction of what Psalm 78 says. God, for this new year, 2022, and for many, many years to come, may you find us faithful in investing in those younger than us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.